comes to us today in, in Romans chapter 7. We're continuing our study of Romans. Chapter 7, uh, picking up in verse 7. And uh, as you're listening to this, if you remember the passage that Howard uh, taught on or spoke on today, read earlier, um, there's a contrast here. So pay attention to that. Romans 7, starting in verse 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet. If the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin. Producing death in me through what was good in order that sin might be shown to be sin. And through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. May God bless the reading of this word. You may be seated. So you should imagine that... You uh, have a brand new circular saw. Now, for those of you who, who aren't uh, well acquainted with with tools, power tools, circular saws, power tool, handheld thing, plugged in typically, uh, press a button and the blade spins and you take it over uh, uh, two by fours or plywood. And it's kind of one of those bread and butter tools for the woodworker. I want you to imagine this new circular saw that you've got is, um, it is, is top of the line. This is high-class power tool. Um, it's got, uh, of course, it's shiny, it's new, it's got a sharp blade. Um, it's even got uh, a, a laser, uh, which, which guides you as you're cutting, precision cutting. This is top of the line, great power tool. Now, imagine that in, with this power tool in your hands, you recognize yourself to be a pretty poor craftsman, a pretty poor woodworker, all right? Now, you've got top-of-the-line power tool at your disposal, yet you yourself, not so good. Maybe you're one of those uh, cut twice, measure once. Maybe you are uh, just kind of distracted, kind of like me, easily distracted as I'm working. Uh, Maybe you're just in a hurry, so you're not taking the time to use the instrument the way it's supposed to be used. Now, you've got this wonderful tool, but the results are going to be awful. The problem's not the tool, the problem's you, right? Now, imagine, in fact, you were going to give this tool to your, 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 your five-year-old son right, and say, go at it, buddy. This is a great tool. It's so great, in fact, that even you could use it. Now, again... Wonderful tool, nothing wrong with the tool, but in the hands of, of an untrained uh, carpenter or a five-year-old, the results are going to be 
disastrous. The problem is not the tool. The problem is who uses the tool. And today we're going to be talking about the law. And, you know, in this passage, Paul speaks about the law, and it's kind of confusing, um, especially if you think about how wonderful the law was in Psalm 19. You know, this great thing is beautiful. It gives life. It revives the soul. But in this verse, in this passage, the law is pretty nasty, actually. The law produces all kinds of bad stuff. So the question is, how do we think about that? Is the law, is the law sin is the question that Paul asks. Well, I think if we start out by understanding that the problem is not with the law. The law is perfect. The law is a wonderful instrument. The problem, like the, the wonderful power tool in the hands of a poor carpenter, the problem is us. All right. Now, today we're going to look at um, we're going to look at the law and the relationship that the law has to sin. There's going to be three points explaining the relationship of the law to sin, and then the one final point is going to be asking the question: How do we use the law well? Because I'm suggesting to you that in some ways the law is a tool, and we can use, misuse that tool, we can abuse that tool to our harm. Or we can use that tool well to our benefit and to God's glory. So three points about the relationship between sin and law. One final point, asking how do we use the law in a good way. Well, let's start out by by looking at the first verse. Romans chapter 7, 7 says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? By no means. Okay, let's start with some definitions. Okay, we got the law on the one hand and we got sin on the other hand. Now, this is pretty basic in some ways, right? The law, the rules that God has given to us through the Bible, guiding our life, the moral code that God has given to us saying, this is how you will live. Uh, Most basically, you can find those in the Ten Commandments. We got a slide just kind of enumerating the Ten Commandments. Okay, God's law. And again, basic stuff, right? God's law, Ten Commandments. Worship God, this is my paraphrase, worship God alone, don't worship through images, keep God's name holy, Sabbath holy, honor parents, etc., etc. Okay, God's law given to us. Um, Basic, in some ways, side note, in this culture though, there's a huge divide. In this culture, less and less is there an assumption that there is a moral code. So it's helpful as Christians to at least be a little bit self-reflective of that. And when you're engaging a non-Christian, if you've got a non-Christian friend, or perhaps that, that you, know, you yourself sitting here today are kind of like, I'm not so sure about Christianity, you may be thinking, I don't buy it. God gives us his law. I don't agree. The, the moral code in our culture is do whatever you want to as long as you don't hurt other people. Right? That's kind of the law of the land. Now, the law of the Bible that God gives us is very different. And it's pretty simple. Do what God tells you to do. Don't do those things that he forbids us to do. God's law, this governing body of rules that help us to live. Okay, basic, right? Well, you've got the law, but then you've got sin. All right, next slide. All right, now, again, basic categories, but it'll help us as we kind of dive into this, this passage. Sin is breaking the law, all right? Basic. Not doing the things that God tells you to do or doing the things that God tells you not to do. All right? Basic, basic stuff. So 
The law is worship God alone. The sin is worship other gods. The law, jumping down to number eight, is don't steal. The sin is you steal. Right? Really basic. Well, this basic kind of definitions helps us as we dive into this question. This opening question you ask is really odd. And the question is this. Is the law sin? How could that be? They're opposites, right? God's law and then sin is breaking God's law. What does Paul mean? Is the law sin? Before we answer that question, I want to invite you to personalize this. Because I think, you know, there's a lot of theological uh, argumentation in here. And, you know, this could get lost in the abstraction. I want you to, to personalize this. So I would encourage you, actually, look at God's law. Look at those Ten Commandments there. Now, this is just some of the commandments God gives us. But I want you to look at those, and I want you to think through your life, reflect for a second, think through which of those may be the most relevant to you. Now, I'm not, you don't have to confess, right? You don't have to, you know, turn to your neighbor and say, oh yeah, it's definitely don't murder um, or don't, you know, commit adultery. But, but get it in your mind. So I want you to know, what, which is your law, and, and, and hence your sin, that you really need to focus on this morning, all right? Kind of keep that with you as we, as we go. Is the law sin? Now, why is Paul asking this question? Because it's odd. They're opposites. Well, the reason Paul asks this is because if you read verse 7, or excuse me, chapter 7, Paul is anticipating an argument or a response from some of his readers. You see, in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 7, Paul has trash-talked the law to such an extent that people naturally might start thinking, well, is the law even good? If the law is so bad, if it leads us into captivity, if, it is, if we're bound to the law and we've been freed from the law in Christ, which is what Paul says in the first six verses, is the law any good at all? Is it even sinful? Paul says, by no means. So he starts off by clarifying. Okay, don't misinterpret, Paul says. The law is not sin. The analogy, circular saw. Is the problem the saw or the person who uses the saw? Right? It's the person who uses the saw. With the law, is the law the problem? No, it's how we use the law as we're getting ready to see. So, Paul answers the question, is the law sin? By no means. It's holy, righteous, good. It's from God. How could it be sin? Paul answers clearly, the law isn't sin. But... But what is the relationship between the law and sin? Well, like many dating relationships, it's kind of complicated. So let's let's kind of get into this. Um, What is the relationship between the law and sin? Verse 7. So Paul first starts out by saying the law is not sin, and yet. The law isn't sin, and yet, verse 7, if it hadn't been for the law, I wouldn't have even known what sin is. If it hadn't been for the law, I would not have known sin. Now, qualification, known here. When Paul says, I haven't known sin or I wouldn't have known sin, he's not talking about academic intellectual knowledge. That's not what known means here. It's, It's an experiential knowledge. My kids love to go to the zoo. And we love to kind of walk through. And some of the favorite animals for my kids are the lions and the tigers. And we love wandering over and seeing the lions. Now, if, honestly, if you're kind of in the zoo and you're just looking at the lions, it's kind of it's a little anticlimactic. They're just lying there most of the time. They're kind of lazy. But I've seen enough Discovery Channels to know better. 
uh, Discovery Channel episodes, I see what the lion can do. And I know in my mind, you know, from, from, from seeing just even how big the lion is in the zoo or from watching Discovery Channel episodes of what these lions can, are capable of, I know in my mind kind of the power and the damage that these lions can inflict. Now, that's, that's head knowledge. Experiential knowledge, which Paul is talking about here, that would like be me being in the cage with the lion, all right? And seeing this massive creature who's hungry, by the way, coming at me, charging at me with, with his fangs bared, pouncing on me and, and attacking me. That's experiential knowledge. When Paul says, if it wasn't for the law, I wouldn't have known sin, he doesn't mean I wouldn't have known what it is, theoretically, practically. He means I would not have experienced sin in all of its ugly power and terror had it not been for the law. Point one, the law leads us to sin. What is the relationship between the law and sin? Well, the law is not sin, but the law leads us to sin. And he gives us an example of this, right? Verse seven continues. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Now, covet, Ten commandment, right? Don't covet. Coveting, prohibiting us from kind of lusting or having this intense desire for something that we don't have, that kind of staying awake at night, daydreaming about what if, if only I had this, that, that intense longing and lusting for something. The command is don't covet. Paul says, I wouldn't have experienced coveting if someone hadn't told me don't covet. But that's exactly what the law did. The law came along and drew a line in the sand and said, don't cross it. Don't covet. And, and that's when it all broke loose. Because as soon as the law said don't covet, all kinds of covetousness came out in Paul, he says. Sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. So we've got this slide, and, you, and in some ways, God's law and God's sins are opposite. But Paul says, when it comes to at least the 10th commandment, don't coveting, that law actually encourages in some fashion that very sin. I think it's the same what we all know, right? I mean, it's kind of that, the concept of the forbidden fruit. As soon as you say, don't do this, you kind of want to do it a little bit more, you know? Uh, parents of kids, of young kids know this. As soon as you say no, there's just this pull. It's like a magnet, you know? Don't step here. I kind of want to, you know? I want to, so I get as close as I can. I'm not really stepping in it yet. I'm looking around. No one's looking. And maybe if I just kind of like hover my foot over. You know, there's just this pull to want to break the law that's given to us. And, and it's not just true of covetousness, but the next, it's true of everything. Every law has this impact in us. Don't steal. Oh, I can't do it, I, but I want to. You told me I can't. Don't lie. Don't commit adultery. Paul says that even though there's nothing wrong with the law, when the law interacts with us, when we use the law, disaster happens. The law leads to sin. Think about biblical examples here. Adam and Eve, right? What happens? God comes along, tells Adam, you've got all of these blessings. This is paradise. 
Don't do this one thing. Magnetic effect. Drawing Adam and Eve towards this sin. Israel on Mount Sinai, which is probably the context that Paul is thinking when he's speaking of the law, he's probably got in his mind the Israelites. They had gotten out of Egypt. They're on the mountain of Sinai. Moses goes up. God gives them the law, the Ten Commandments. What immediately happens? First two commandments are out the window before Paul even gets down the mountain. The law you would think would restrain evil, right? Don't do this. These prohibitions that keep us away from sin. But Paul says here, actually, it's almost the opposite. Israel, after getting the law, didn't get better. They actually got worse. The law leads us to sin. So, so th- right off the bat, this should, should hopefully kind of warn us against a common mistake in, in terms of how we use the law, which is... Just kind of the disciplined approach of just do it, right? The law says don't lie, so don't lie. Right? And, just, and, and just maybe you need reminders throughout the day. Maybe you need post-it notes. You wake up in the morning on the you know, mirror of your bathroom or, or you, know, you get in your car, post-it note, don't lie, don't lie. You get to work on your desk, don't lie. Computer screen, don't lie. You get home, kitchen table, don't lie. Right? That's the disciplined approach. Just, just do it. Paul says that that's, that's actually leads to disaster. That's not how we should use the law. This week, all right, so what's, this is confession time. Because remember, I, I've asked you to personalize this. So think through the commandments. Get that one in your head. And I, I get to confess out loud. You get to confess just in your mind. So my, my sin this, this week is, is actually murder. And I'm not joking. Not, not, not an extreme murder. But Jesus, when he talks about the Ten Commandments, he says, now murder isn't just killing somebody unlawfully. Murder is if you've got this anger in your heart that's sinful against your brother, that's murder. I struggled with anger this week. I said a relationship, it's a good relationship I've got, but, but I just was struggling with anger towards this person. And I could remember um, driving, driving, to, driving uh, in the car, and, and I'm, I'm thinking about this, and it's just like I'm just kind of starting to have this kind of bitterness kind of growing in me uh, in this relationship, and, um, and, then, and then it hits me. I'm, this is wrong. The law comes to mind. This is wrong. I should not be having these thoughts. Now, I think that was good. That's true. That's, that's God's word kind of speaking. And I think the Holy Spirit reminded me, this is wrong what I'm doing. I, sh- I can't foster these thoughts. But guess what happened? It was kind of like pouring gasoline on a fire. It actually got worse. Like my struggle, when, when I realized what I was doing was wrong, all of a sudden I had this, all this angst. I'm like, oh, this, it's right. I felt guilty. I felt convicted. I didn't get better. And if anything, I just started struggling with these thoughts more and got really down on myself and got exhausted. It's kind of this emotional battle. Like, why am I thinking these things? The law. You're, what's, what's your sin? Think through. What, the sin that you, in your mind, identified, I need to focus on that. The law says don't do it. Oftentimes, we get into the habit of just saying, yeah, that's it. I just need to not do it. And I need to grin and bear it and, and, and just be disciplined and don't steal. Paul says that's an absolute abuse of how the law was intended. If all you needed was the law, you wouldn't be struggling. If all you needed was knowledge, you, you know these things. 
I, I doubt very, very few of you, perhaps a few, but very few of you learned anything new when I showed you the Ten Commandments. So the problem is not knowledge. So if I come up to you and say, hey, brother, don't lie. Well, great. So maybe that's helpful as a reminder. But, but if that was all it took, that would not be a struggle for you. All right? Just moving on to the next thing. You need something more than the law. So the law is not sin, yet it leads us to sin, point one. But not only does it lead us to sin, point two. Sin leads us to death. So there's a relationship that's growing here. The law leads to sin. Sin leads to death. Let's read the end of verse 8 through 11. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. Now, a couple things to notice in, in, this, in, this, in these verses. First of all, the law is not the villain here, right? We're kind of trying to really be clear about this because Paul is trying to really clarify. The problem is not the law. The law is not the villain. The villain is sin. What sin does is sin uses the law as a tool to accomplish its purposes. See, the sin kind of takes advantage of the fact that the law opened the door for it to come in and wreak havoc. The law opens the door, sin comes in and destroys. We've got a chart here um, on, the, uh, on the screen. Okay, so the relationship, this, this is basically what the verse says. So apart from the law, and we're clarifying kind of a similar point here. Apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive. All right, that's good. But then the commandment came. Sin came alive. The, the, the language, it sprung to life. And when it sprung to life, I died. So what's the point that Paul's trying to make? I think Paul's trying to make the, the point that the stakes are high in how we use the law. Because if we are not careful how we use the law, the law can lead to sin, which is going to kill us. Think about that, that circular saw example again. Nothing wrong with the, the saw, but if I'm distracted and I'm cutting, not only am I going to, you know, kind of create all kinds of funky woodwork, but, but I, I could actually slice my arm right off. Right? I, could, I could kill myself with a perfectly good tool if I misuse it. I think Paul is saying in a similar fashion, the law is not a toy. The law is a dangerous weapon. The law is a dangerous tool. We need to be careful how we use it. But I think this also, what's the point of Paul kind of saying the law leads to sin, sin leads to death? What's what's the point? I think another point is that it guards against another mistake. If one of the mistakes about using the law is just do it, be disciplined, perhaps a, a second mistake would be to ignore or to minimize the law, right? Because if you're tracking with me, I'm sort of suggesting you can't do it. Hence, why try, right? Isn't that kind of natural? You, 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 you try something. If you're like me, if I'm trying hard at a sport or a hobby or something, when I get to the moment when I realize this is futile, I don't work a whole lot longer than that. Once I realize I can't do it, I'm done, right? Well, I think some of us treat the law that way. We realize we can't do it. So, you know, what's the point? Let's just get on to the good stuff. 
like Jesus loves me, right? And we just kind of put the law aside. But Paul is saying you can't do that. You know why? Because if you let sin run rampant, it's going to kill you. The law leads to sin. Sin leads to death. Look at the imagery here. The imagery here is, is that of a powerful enemy who's just waiting to seize his opportunity. Looking to seize the opportunity to come in and deceive you and kill you. That's sin. Another image, you know, think, go back to my lion analogy, uh, the lions at the zoo. I think that you actually have this picture in verses 8 and 9 of kind of this beast that's kind of lying dead. Imagine, if you will, I'm up here and there is, there is literally, there's a lion on stage, right? But the, the lion's dead, thankfully, all right? No big deal, all right? It's disgusting. I don't know why I'd be up here with a dead lion, but it's, it's dead. I'm okay. But as soon as the commandment comes to use the analogy the lion springs to life and devours me. Paul is urging us with great seriousness, don't minimize sin because it will, it will kill you. Think about, think about your sin, right? You've got, you've got a, a law and a sin up here that, you, that I've asked you to focus on. Where do you see death in your life because of that sin? If Paul's right, sin leads to death. And if we've got besetting sin in our lives, which most of us are struggling with something. If that's right, then then there are traces of death in your life. It may not be drastic, but but at least in small areas. So back to my personal example, anger. (coughs) Excuse me. Anger. Um, Struggling this week. It was early on in the week. I was struggling with it. It's like I couldn't couldn't get, get a hold of this. Um, bitterness in my heart. Well, midweek, um, Celia went out to, to care for a friend who just had a baby, and she took autumn, and I had the boys for a couple days, which I was excited about. It's guy time, right? We haven't had guy time in a long time, and or my boys are just old enough to, can, you know, I can do that, wrestle around with them, and have fun with them, and I really was looking forward to that. Problem was, by the end of the week, beginning of the week, I was wrestling with this anger, and, and as I told myself, stop doing it, it only got worse. I, I honestly, I was, this is exhausting for me. Emotionally, I was finding myself kind of distracted. Uh, had the sermon to work on, and I'm, but I'm just, I'm just not using my time well because I've got this inner turmoil, this sin that I'm not handling well. I had some good time with my boys, but looking back, uh, second night, uh, the night before Celia was going to come back, I realized, man, I have just totally missed golden opportunities with them. Now, was I present at times? Sure. We had good moments, but that was what it was, good moments. Instead of good hours, good days, where I could interact with them and and, and just care for them in a unique way, what happened? Sin came into my life, and it started—there was a death. It was a small death, admittedly, but it was a death. And 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 that last night, when I looked at that and I realized what I had lost, I mourned that. You know what? I lost good opportunities with my boys. Sin leads to death. What about you? What are those areas in your life? Where is sin leading to death? When you see that, hopefully, it it leads you to the conclusion that you can't minimize it. You can't ignore it because it will kill you. So what's the relationship between sin and death and law and sin? The law leads to sin. Sin leads to death. But thankfully, that's not where it ends. 
You might ask at this point, what is the point of the law? If this is all it does, if the law just leads us to sin, sin leads us to death, what's the point? Why did God allow this? Verse 13. Why did God allow the law to lead us to sin and death? In order that sin might shown to be sin and the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. The law is a diagnostic tool for our hearts, showing us where sin is. It's like a CT scan, right? You go into the doctor, there's concerns. There's a scan that's going to look for problems. Now you might say, well, why are you looking for problems? Isn't that so negative? Well, if there's a problem, if you've got, if you've got cancer, early cancer, you want to catch that, right? So the best thing you could do is go looking for problems. That's what the law does in our hearts. It looks for problems to show us. The law comes along and says, don't do this, which then all of a sudden creates more sin in our lives, which shows us, oh, yeah, there's a problem here. The law is a scan. It's a diagnostic tool for the sin. Not only does it show sin to be sin, but, it, but the commandment allows sin to become sinful beyond measure. It's, the commandment amplifies sin. Think back to the CT scan, right? You can imagine the doctor scanning for, for, for problem areas and, and there's a questionable area. You know, maybe, maybe there's a tumor or there's something that might be a tumor. What's the doctor likely going to do? He's going to actually like, like amplify that on his screen. He's going to zoom in to try to figure out what, what is this? You know, going to amplify it to get better clarity about the problem. And that's what the law does. It amplifies our sin. So we see just how bad it is. See, one of the biggest problems we have, and this is, why this, is, this is why the law is good. One of the biggest problems we have is that we don't cry out to God in our need. One of the biggest problems we have is that we think we are okay without God. Even though we're sheep who've kind of wandered away, we're kind of looking around and like, we're good, I got this. The law forces us. As Augustine says, God commands what we cannot do in order that we may know what we ought to seek from him. The law leads to sin, sin leads to death, and death, this is the last point, the death leads to new life. The law leads to sin, sin leads to death, death leads to new life. So, begs the question, so how do we use the law? Well, we've talked about a few ways we can't do it. You can't say, I'm going to be disciplined. I'm just going to do it. God, you say, don't commit adultery. Great, I am not going to lust not it. At the same time, we can't just say, oh, well, I can't, you know, be pure, and so who cares? There's got to be another way. And this passage shows us what that another way is. It's, the, it's, the, it's helplessness. How do you use the law through helplessness? The law tells you that you can't do it. You can't do it. God calls you to be pure. You can't do it. God calls you to be honest. You can't do it. God calls you to love others better than yourself. You can't do it. It shows your sin. It shows all the ways that you are inadequate. The best moment I had all week in this struggling with sin was when I realized, you know, I was... 
again, driving to the car, and I'm, I'm wrestling this. Why am I struggling? Why can't I not let this go? This is silly. This is not even that important. And yet I'm so in angst over this anger that I've got towards a friend. Um, why can't I let it go? I can't do it. I can't do it. Then um, it was as if the Holy Spirit again spoke and challenged me to remember, what, what are you preaching on this week? I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And at that moment when I realized, like, I can't. I can't do it. I can't let go of this anger. This huge burden lifted off of me. My relationship with God is not contingent upon me getting rid of this anger. Because Christ came, and although he suffered injustice from day one to his final day, although he was abused, mistreated, tortured, abandoned, he never once had sinful anger. I can't do it, but Christ did. You can't do it, but Christ did. You can't be pure, Christ was. You can't help but covet, Christ never had one ungodly desire. The beautiful thing for me in, my, in this story is that once I got to that point of actually saying, I can't do it, and I felt that freedom, I was actually when I, I think I started to actually improve in this area of sin. It took me coming to the point of, of realizing that I was absolutely helpless to actually feel the freedom to say, Christ, I need you. Thank you that you dealt with anger well so that I don't have to. And once that absolute measure of perfection was removed, I was kind of free to just take small steps towards dealing with my anger. I didn't feel like anymore that I had to wrestle this lion because Christ wrestled the lion for me. And I was able to just take small steps, um, confessing to friends, to to other brothers, um, releasing into my heart. The way the law works is it leads you to helplessness. You can't do it. Christ did it. And then once you get to that point, the third step is you can do it in some small ways. You can grow in godliness. You can't keep the law in absolute perfection. Christ did that for you. And what he's asking you to do is to walk with him in these small ways, reaching out to others for help, crying out to God in your neediness, asking for his forgiveness when you fail, and taking another step. How do you use the law? With helplessness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your law that is good and yet reveals sin. Lord, I thank you for your law, which shows us how much we need you. Father, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would convict us of of just so many things, of our, our lack of neediness. God, help us to see the ways that we're living independent from you. Help us to see the ways that we have minimized sin and treated it as if it's not a big problem. Forgive us for just taking the self-disciplined approach in self-righteousness, assuming that we can do your commandments. So, Father, we confess these things to you, and yet we, we ask that you would remind us, your spirit would pour out uh, in us, in our hearts, reminding us of how you have done it for us. Christ came, lived the perfect life, so that we don't have the standard of perfection. 
Father, lead us in these small steps of holiness as we recognize that we're freed from the law. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.